Hello, and welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. So you came back. That's good. Right? Ryan, you know what I'm talking about. I like to see some of the college kids in town. And we're not in college anymore, Ryan. You're, well, kind of, grad school. This is what you can expect, lots of dialogue with the audience, so no one is safe, just so you know, pay attention. So the other day, about a couple weeks ago, I filled up this large water bottle, it's a liter. Um, I try to get four of these down a day because you got to stay hydrated. And I set it on the counter, and as I turned to shut the fridge, I knocked it over. And so a liter of water just splashed all over the kitchen and around the corner, Little Silas comes, points at me, and he says, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. And this reaction is really cute and pretty appropriate. I was still really annoyed with myself for being clumsy because I hold myself to a really high, unrealistic standard in which I don't mess up ever. And so that was troubling to me. And also, I just didn't want to clean it up, but... I didn't want to admit my failure, so I knew I had to clean it up before my wife saw it. And so my little toddler comes and helps me, which doesn't help at all. And next thing you know, his his socks become tiny little foot sponges that are just tracking all over our wood floors. And ever since that afternoon, when I drink from this lime green Nalgene, wherever Silas is, somehow he finds me and he just points at me. And he says, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Now, he is not shaming me. At least I do not think he is. And my wife loves it. Like, she really thinks it's funny every time he says, "Uh uh-oh, to me. Um, But what's really going on in his rapidly developing brain is this association. And so whenever he sees that particular water bottle, he, he expects a big mess to happen because he saw it that one time. It was a big moment in his life, and so he just expects every time I drink from it, there will also be a spill all over the floor. And it sounds silly, but we think God is like this. We think God looks at us throughout our days, points his finger at us, and says, "Uh uh-oh. And so we've got this distorted image of God and it corrupts our identities. And for example, who here, in the first service, no one admitted to it, I don't know why. Who here has made goals for next year? Okay, thank you, all right, good. Um, Now, maybe you want to do more of something, like exercising, reading, praying. Maybe you want to do less of something, like eating junk food, or complaining, or wasting money. Now, who thinks they're going to last till the end of the year? Okay. Who thinks they will fail by, by summertime? They'd be lucky if they got to summer. Oh, y'all good? You're good? Okay. What, does anyone think they're going to fail by the end of this month, January? Yeah? All right. And then tomorrow. Who's going to fail tomorrow? <laughs> so you're right, and even if you didn't admit it, guess what? We are all a bunch of failures in this room. All right, Happy New Year. (laughs) So 
we just celebrated the birth of our Savior, a Savior who's painfully aware of our shortcomings. Christmas reminds us that God took on human flesh and experienced the world as we do. And so with this, he has firsthand knowledge. And he can say to us, I am with you, I am for you, I am in you, and get this, I expect more failure from you than you expect from yourself. He knows how difficult this world can be. He knows the temptations. He knows what people are like. But Jesus overcame the world. So today, let's shift our attention to what God is doing rather than what we are doing. My hope is that you will know that you are God's beloved child. I really believe that he wants to tell you that this morning. He wants to say your name and say, I love you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are already here, but we are asking you to break in and make yourself known to us individually. We're asking you to be our teacher, to be the lover of our souls. And Lord Jesus, don't let me lie when I say I love you and protect me, for today I could betray you. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning's text is from Galatians, and it encapsulates a longstanding saying that we have at CPC, which is, be loved, love God, and love others. Um, another saying that's similar to it is, belong, believe, become. Now, while we could spend time fleshing out each one of these different um, sayings, I want to more carefully consider the first one. An ancient Christian, Christian mystic named Julian of Norwich explained why this is paramount. She wrote, the greatest honor we can give Almighty God is to live gladly because the knowledge of his love so open up a Bible or app to Galatians 5. We'll be reading one, verses 1 through 15 this morning. And as you're finding that, I just want to tell you a few things. Paul, who is the author of this text, is, he's fired up right now. And he uses some strong words that might not be appropriate for, for Family Sunday. I'm just kidding. It's in the Bible. It's not that strong. Uh, but his righteous... Anger here, which is that's that's why he's so fired up, is only overshadowed by one thing, and that is his burning passion for the true gospel of grace. So, beginning in chapter 5, verse 1, and we'll be reading this in three separate chunks. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. So without getting into all of the details about circumcision in the Abrahamic covenant, I can tell you that the underlying issue of this passage is dealing with justification. And justification is how we are made right 
with God. We already established this morning that we are failures. It is sad, but it's true, and we, we all know it to be true. And as sinners, we just can, we cannot accept, expect to be in a relationship with a holy and perfect God. And Paul's reminding the church of this. It is through Christ alone that freedom is gained. But some have seemed to forget this essential truth and are teaching others that you need to be circumcised and obey all of the Old Testament laws. For Paul, this is to return to the dominion of sin and the law's curse. It is basically to willingly put yourself in captivity when the exact opposite is what God wants for us. And Paul does just not talk the talk about this issue. Earlier in this book of Galatians in chapter 2, he writes about this non-Jew who converted to Christianity under Paul's ministry. This man was named Titus, and Paul made sure that Titus was not circumcised after he became a Christian. Paul explains his decision and reminds Titus of his standing before God in Titus 3.5. He says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So in this passage, Paul is not actually talking or arguing about um, whether to circumcise or not to circumcise. He's just putting his foot down regarding the practice of requiring circumcision as a necessity for saving faith. Essentially, people are being led to believe that Jesus' sacrifice was not enough. In my preaching class in seminary, uh, I had a friend of mine who gave this memorable sermon called Jesus Plus Nothing. We all have this innate desire to make faith about Jesus plus something else. And that something else can be something bad, like Jesus plus an addiction. Or sometimes that something else can be something good, like Jesus plus family, Jesus plus spiritual disciplines, Jesus plus service, Jesus plus good works, Jesus plus you just fill in the blanks. But Paul is saying anytime you attempt to add something to Jesus, you risk losing everything. People at this church in Galatia are being taught to shift their dependence from Christ's perfect righteousness and atoning death to their own efforts at law observance. We actually renounce God's grace when we no longer rely on it. We become those mockers at Jesus' crucifixion, essentially telling God that he doesn't know what he's doing. But on that cross, Jesus said these words, it is finished, and he meant it. We have been set free, and Paul reminds us to live in that freedom. So I'm going to show a clip in a moment from the movie The Mission that best illustrates what what looks like when we submit again to what Paul calls this yoke of slavery. And the man in this, this clip is basically carrying his guilt with him. That's what everything symbolizes there. And he is trying to earn penance for carrying his guilt. And basically, he's just submitting again to yoke of slavery. So let's watch. (laughs) 
This is us. This is what we do. But what really counts is not guilt or penance or trying hard enough or being a good person. What counts is faith working through love. And that's where we pick back up. Look at verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. He means what you think he means there. And if you don't know what he means, you can ask a neighbor in your pew. Don't do that. So a few quick points before we finish the passage. In baking, the leaven is the yeast that's added to the dough, and it spreads throughout, and that's what makes the the bread rise. The leaven, figuratively speaking, in this instance, Paul's writing about uh, legalism. When legalism enters a Christian community, then it has this propensity to just spread everywhere. And what happens is you start to measure everyone based on how well they keep the laws or the commandments. But the cross is offensive because it shatters human pride and self-reliance. It's this vivid source of human frailty. And what should happen is it should beckon us to a life of humble obedience. So let's look at these final three verses. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So this passage finishes with a call to respond to the gospel and a warning to the church. And it's in line with what Paul writes to the Philippians, says, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, don't cheapen that grace. The gospel of grace is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. This past Sunday, Pastor Rick gave an amazing gospel message on Christmas Eve. His sermon reminded me of the importance of combining head and heart knowledge about Christ. It also spoke to the necessity of God being the one who is at work in us. And if you were unable to attend or you were traveling, then I would suggest listening to the podcast. Also, last Saturday, I was privileged to attend the men's um, Saturday morning gathering, and I got to share my testimony there. So this past weekend, for whatever reason, God made me revisit this book that I have not read for 10 years, but greatly shaped uh, some of my theology, and that book's called The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning. Now, some people accuse this author of erring too much on the side of this experiential faith or feelings. But I can tell you right now that Presbyterians are often accused of erring way too much on the side of intellectual knowledge of God. So let's meet in the middle a little bit today. 
I read this book at a time in my life where my relationship with Christ up to that point was all about my own performance. And Manning poses this question. He says, are you moody and melancholy because you are still striving for perfection that comes from your own efforts and not from faith in Jesus Christ? My answer was yes. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you are sick of trying to prove yourself. Maybe you're worn out from the burden and pressure of what you think it means to look like or even be a Christian. There is another way. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We are so loved by God that he sent his son to die for us. I think we forget that sometimes, or we don't dwell in it enough. Romans 11.6 says this, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Grace is an unmerited gift from God. There's no transaction involved. We, re we receive due to no effort from ourselves. Why then? myself included, do some of us live like we need to earn it even after the fact that we already received it freely? It's like that video clip. Jesus has set us free, cut those chains from us, and we go back down the hill and pick them back up again. The problem is that when we try to work for it, we suffer immensely when we inevitably, we inevitably realize that we cannot get the job done. My constant pursuit of perfection led me to a point in my faith where I was willing to wander from God. I decided that I just wasn't good enough. I wasn't cutting it. I was sick of this endless cycle of asking for forgiveness, um, trying to repent, and then slipping up again. And to be honest with you, th this was a big thing for me. I was really frustrated that God was not changing my heart at a faster pace. So I turned to other things for a season. And as you can imagine, I quickly realized that life without Jesus is not any easier. It's actually much more difficult. And as I tried to make my way back like the prodigal son and seek out Jesus again, I wondered whether or not God would take me back. And again, that same book hit me right between the eyes. It says, God wants us back even more than we could possibly want to be back. If you are hesitating to come back into the welcoming arms of the Father this morning, I would remind you that this is what grace is. His forgiveness is endless. No matter what you have done or haven't done, he wants you back. The moment the focus of your life shifts from your badness to his goodness and the question becomes, not what have I done, but what can he do? Actual, real release from remorse can happen. Others here this morning may have never made a decision to follow Jesus. If that is the case for you, then I invite you to experience a love and fulfillment that far exceeds anything else that this world has to offer. Genuine self-acceptance is not derived from the power of positive thinking mind games, or pop psychology. It is an act of faith in the God of grace. 
And for everyone here this morning, and even those of you listening on the podcast, remember this quote from Brennan Manning. Repentance is not what we do in order to earn forgiveness. It is what we do because we have been forgiven. Repentance is an act of turning away from sin, but lasting and substantial behavior change does not occur until after we have come to faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. This has to be our understanding or else we're actually in danger of our faith being out of order. If we do not get this, then we are submitting again to a yoke of slavery because we selfishly think that at least partially we had something to do with our acceptance by God. The inward change must precede the outward change. And hear me, I am not saying that a person cannot make positive changes in their lives. But what I am trying to do is I'm trying to guard us from falling into the trap of believing that those positive changes somehow, some way, made us more lovable, deserving, or heaven forbid, entitled to the mercy of God. God examines our hearts. That is what matters most to him. And praise Jesus that he took our hearts of stone and turned them to flesh. The surest way I know to join God in bringing about inward change is to do two things. First, constantly remember and meditate on the gospel message. And the second one is like it. Take time to rest in the immeasurable love of God. We've done a little bit of this this morning, but we are going to transition. And actually, now we are going to make some space to do these two things more intentionally. So at Carmel Press, we disciple our people to understand that Sunday mornings, this church service is not all about you. It's not to make you feel comfortable and feel good. It's, it, it's not all about you. We gather to worship God and his family and to serve one another. It's about him. But for the remainder of the time this morning, this one-time Christmas gift, this is about you. These last few minutes are for you to be loved. They're for you to know that you're not one big uh-oh. This wedding band is a constant reminder of the love between Lalia and I. And um, when she gave it to me, she had this little hidden inscription that I didn't know was there. And the inscription says, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. I thought I knew what love was before meeting and marrying my wife. But each day, I learn more about sacrifice, about commitment, and friendship. I'm in awe of the way that she constantly just gives out gentleness and kindness to me. And at times when I'm struggling to love myself, she's the one who encourages me and she absolutely makes me want to be a better man. Yet this love that we share is filled with flaws, and it is but a shadow of the love that God bestows upon us. Even the best examples of human love fall short of the love that can only come from Christ. So have you ever experienced God's love and grace wash over you? 
When was the last time? I remember in the past I would receive prayer from people who laid hands on me, and they would simply just, they would ask the Holy Spirit to come and show up. And rarely did some earth-shattering thing occur. What, what would most cop- commonly happen is they would sense that God wanted to tell me something. They would sense that God just wanted to communicate to me these words. Luke, I love you. You are my son. Those were some of the most profound and joy-filled moments of my life. Honestly, the sure knowledge and presence of God in my life has been the single greatest motivator for change, for obedience. My prayer is that you too would truly experience God this morning and hear him tell you these things, that he knows you, that he sees you, that he wants you, that he loves you, and that he died for you. In a moment, we're going to turn the lights down low and we're going to attempt to shut out the distractions. We'll be playing a song on the screens called Pieces. The lyrics will be up there. The chorus says, you don't give your heart in pieces. And the bridge says, says, your love's not passive. It's never disengaged. It's always present. It hangs on every word we say. Love keeps its promises. It keeps its word. It honors what's sacred because its vows are good. Your love's not broken. It's not insecure. Your love's not selfish. Your love is pure. Let these words pour over you for the next five minutes as we are called to remember that God's love is not like the broken love that we experience here on earth. I understand that this might be a difficult task for some, but let me ask you this. When was the last time you set aside five minutes to do nothing except the love, except let the love of Christ wash over you? I can think of no better way to end last year and begin the new year. I want this time to be for all of us, and that's why I'm not having the band lead us. This is for them, too. And this is out of the ordinary for what we typically do on Sunday mornings, but I, I'm going to go ahead and just, I'm just going to trust God to deliver. The Holy Spirit is here, and he wants to speak to you. If you, if you feel open to doing this, then I would suggest just opening your, your hands and placing them on your lap as a posture of just, of just saying to God, I'm ready to receive what, whatever you, you have for me. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we need you. We desperately need you to remind us or to tell us for the first time that we're not a mistake, that you love us, that you accept us, that you delight in us. I'm asking by your power that you would break chains that are holding people back. Let people experience true freedom in Christ. Holy Spirit, give us a glimpse 
of the love of the Father. It's in your name. Amen.
And now, some parting words from Pastor Rick. That's what freedom feels like. And whether you've ever been abandoned or disappointed or just completely let down, God's love is nothing like that. It's perfect. It's constant. It's unchanging. It's in pursuit of you. And so we go and we live in freedom because Christ has set us free. So go in the new year in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and live in that freedom. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.